and welcome to a Now for Something Completely Machinima podcast. Machinima is a form of filmmaking where you create 3D animated films inside of a video game or a real-time engine. This is episode 59, and in this episode we'll be reviewing Machinima films we find interesting, and the theme this month is Second Life. The original metaverse started way back in 2003 and still going strong. I'd like to introduce my fellow podcasters, Damian Valentine. Hello there. Hi, Damian. Uh, Phil Rice. Hey, how's it going? Good. And Tracy Harwood. Hi, how you doing, everyone? Good. It's so good to be with you all today. I sure enjoy these uh, sessions where we talk about films. Me too. Phil, uh, I wanted to ask you, there was a little news item that you wanted to share with us. And since you weren't here last time, could you tell us about it? Are, are you prepared to do that? Yeah, as soon as I can remember what that was. <laughs> it was a capture. It was a... Ah, um... yes. So yeah, there's there's some kind of... Uh, the, the tool is called Plask, P-L-A-S-K. And it is a... Basically, it's a, it's an endeavor toward a motion capture tool through just regular webcam-like camera footage, which we've seen people play with that before to varying degrees of success. Um, this one at, at least lets you get started with it for free, probably because they're you know they're still doing doing testing on it. Um, I have not got to play with it yet. I intended to, but just ran out of time. But it's at the website plask.ai. And they describe it as AI motion capture and 3D animation tool. And the demo mm. videos look pretty impressive. They'll show yeah, someone. Yeah, I, you know, I watched the demos and I thought and, they were pretty good. Yeah. So I don't know how much. I, I think one of the perks is that the AI is supposed to be helping with, you know, typically when you do motion capture, there's cleanup. There, right. there inevitably is cleanup to smooth things out and all that. And and this supposedly smooths some of those rough edges automatically. So. Um, I'll tell you what, let's put it to the listeners. If anyone out there gives it a try, uh, Evan Ryan, I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, let us know how it goes and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll feature your comments here on the right, uh, next exactly. episode. And if you record something, um, and send it, send us the audio, we'll include that. Absolutely. Great. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, you bet. All right. Since our theme is uh, Second Life, I thought it might be fun to talk a little bit about it first before we launch right into the films. Um, and I, here's my first question. Uh, you know, every game engine uh, used to create Machinima uses the visual world, the characters, and the stories of that game. But Second Life doesn't have any specific goals. It's a landscape that consists entirely of user-generated content. Um, everything you see has been built by someone else. So what's unique about a Second Life Machinima? Since it isn't a narrative game like Half-Life 2 or Red Dead Redemption, where do filmmakers find stories and characters to depict in their films? Hmm. Well, it seems like from, from ones that I've seen over the years that one of the sources of inspiration is experiences that they've had in in second life at playing as their avatars and not necessarily even role-playing experiences but just just real interactions or things that they've built together or that kind of thing 
so they end up drawing inspiration from that. Um, that's 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 a trend that I've seen in some some films. Yeah, I was going to say something very similar actually, because I think part of the attraction of it has to be this um, the kind of rich aesthetic of the of the of the sort of the three D virtual space and and the, and probably the relative ease that you can modify the characters and the mm. and the virtual assets. Um, but I think, as Phil says, a lot of the uh, the content that you see created is based on the experiences of going around as a tourist almost and uh, exploring, uh, you know, the various different spaces. So it's kind of it's kind of a place of discovery, right? I think, and I think if you can stand the hassle, of, you know, of, uh, you know, from the from the griefers in the in the kind of the various places that you you visit. I guess one of the things that you can say, you know, sort of, I guess one of the things that you can say about it really is that when Second Life was was developed, there there was a lot of careful thought that went into who owns what content. If you if you remember, Mm. you know, that was a that was a big debate at the time that it was made. And the fact that you own your own content basically means that if you are going to create stuff. You don't have to negotiate it with the, uh, you know, with Linden Labs or whatever. You can negotiate it locally with the people that have created the Sims, uh, and that's sort of created this sort of basis for a rich exchange between between folks um, that has enabled this sort of, um, you know, machinima documentation, if you like, to to emerge in vast quantities um, about the various kinds of experiences that people have in that world and I think that's slightly different to how other environments have um, developed the fact that it's you know this rich aesthetic um, form which is unlike anything else pretty much Hmm. and you know the fact that you can negotiate access to the content with whoever owns it right right that's true um I was curious in looking at the films that all of uh, that we all selected uh, for today's podcast that it shared several themes, and one of the themes is a documentary like uh, Machinima of a specific installation or a specific event that occurred in Second Life that reflects your comment just now about how people. Mm-hmm. make films of uh, the activities that are going on in Second Life. And uh, another interesting one is the sort of dance video, the kind of where groups of people get together and do a formal dance or an, or like a dance ensemble or just a party where people film the party and people are dancing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then a third one that I, I saw was the sort of how can I say sort of the memoir machinima where people talk about their individual experience mm-hmm. and and semi-fictionalize that like I did this and now I'm going through this world and here I am and this is my feelings about it and this is what it is he's sort of sharing their own particular feeling you don't get any of those forms in any of the other machinima games like half-life 2 certainly mm-hmm. grand theft auto i mean can you imagine a, <laughs> a a grand theft auto machinima of a of an installation you know it just it's just not going to happen they take 
they take elements of the theme of that world and then they make fictionalized films from that. And then the last thing I see as being a recurring form in Second Life is the abstraction, the abstract film. You don't see any of that in any of the other games, uh, with, with some exceptions, but mostly not, because all of the games are realistic. They depict realistic places, realistic worlds, oftentimes poetically realistic, but realistic nonetheless. Whereas in Second Life Machinima, there's a more artistic sensibility towards it, meaning that they're willing to abstract their experiences because there are literally places in Second Life that are abstracted already. You know, it's an abstracted world. And um, I just find those, I find that fascinating. Do you guys see those uh, those forms in Second Life or am I uh, off the mark? No, I think you're right. Because I remember when we were doing the Machinery Expo, Anytime a film was submitted from Second Life, it was more likely to be an abstract film than yes. a, a narrative film. Yeah. I think that's because the platform Second Life is really suited for that. Like, and I think Movie Storm and iClone offer, because they offer the same kind of creative if, creativity in being able to basically do whatever you like, bring in your own content. You get some of those kind of abstract elements. But like you said, games aren't designed for that. So that's why you very rarely see it in a game, but you'll see it in something like Second Life, which encourages people to be more creative. Mm -hmm. That's right. I think it's to do with that uh, um, rich aesthetic of it, which yeah. you don't, you know, the fact that you can modify it and, and do stuff with that aesthetic. I think that's partly why you see that. Yeah. I mean, I was reflecting on this earlier as well, and I was thinking, you know, the one thing you don't actually see too much of is the um, in-joke type film. Ah, that's right. You, you don't see a lot of, you know, poking fun at each other in a comedic way that you used to see in the early, in the early machinima films that were more game-based. Yeah, yeah, it's you're right. It's all serious stuff, and it's, and it's largely all replicating something else. Hmm. So this connection to real life is, I think, incredibly evident in most of the stuff that, that you see, even though, of course, it isn't, a, you know, a mirror world or anything like that, because, of, you know, the, the physics is completely, well, designed to be a little different. It's not completely different, but it's a, it's a little different. Um, but it's all trying to replicate real life stuff, which I have always found bizarre, yeah. to, to say the least. <laughs> yes, that's right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, you you know, your comment about dance videos and all that sort of stuff, I just think. Really, it's just, a, it's just a, <laughs> why not just go to a disco or something? Is, is, yeah. that, is, is that even a common parlance term these days? Yeah, disco, nightclub, or whatever. But you know. one thing I, I do like about Second Life is it tends to have more involvement with women in creating machinima yeah. than many other machinimas, par par partly because the, the stories in many games are male oriented stories. And the women tend to have sort of stock roles in those games. Whereas Second Life, you can have an entire area that's been created by a woman or groups of women, and they want to get involved in the um, aesthetic and the creative experience, uh, uh, just like the men do. So I think yeah. I, I like the fact that in Second Life, you, you see more work by women than you do in other types of machinima. Yeah, and I think the other thing I've seen 
as well as it's it's described really as a as a 3D virtual chat and um, economy system rather than a you know the rather than a creative platform although we obviously have always focused on the sort of creative side of it that you know folks don't really go in there generally speaking to create they go in there to to socialize don't they mm. which is kind of interesting i mean it, just thinking about some of your comments there as well i was i, I was kind of reflecting that and, and it's evident in some of the films that we're going to be talking about as well there is this kind of um connection to, i think uh, to people um, living out something beyond what they are capable of living in at the moment in their physical world. And, you know, there's, there, um, I think over the years that I've sort of seen Second Life films, I've seen a lot of stuff where people have gone in um, because, uh, you know, they've been in accidents or... Right, they're handicapped. They're handicapped in some way or um, they've got, an, you know, cancer or, or, you know, some other kind of serious problem that that has a major impact on their physical life. And they've gone into this virtual space, sometimes with the trace of that evident in what they portray, but very often to do something that they cannot know or any longer do in their real life. Right. And I, and I you know, we, we've seen quite a few films explore that beyond what is real kind of right. um, thing, I think. Um, and when we talk about some of the films later, I've got some comments okay. on, on that as well, because I, I do think that comes through in quite a lot of what we, we look at, at, at today. Um, but, you know, if you were going to make a horse opera or a space drama or a car chase, you just wouldn't do it in Second Life, would you? Hmm. You could if you wanted to, because the all the materials are there. But generally, it's not what most people do. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different mindset, I think, going into yeah. this one. Uh, I have a, one last question before we launch into the films, and it's uh, for you, Phil. Um, Phil and I worked intensely in Second Life for several years, producing a machinima film festival called the Machinima Expo. And during those, that time, we encountered the worst and the best of what Second Life had to offer. I wanted to ask you, Phil, what did you think of that experience of producing and creating in Second Life? Well worth the trouble. Um, in, in, no regrets about it whatsoever. I mean, there were, there were times when it was frustrating. I remember a particular time when you were, you were trying to interview uh, one of the filmmakers um, who had uh, been, I think, given some kind of a jury award. And you were trying to conduct an interview with the, the reverence, let's say, and sincerity that you do. And then, yeah, someone came up and uh, was interfering. And I think, uh, you know, borderline pornographic in the way that they were interfering. But those those moments, I, that's not what I remember. I mean, I remember those, so we laugh about them. But um, what I recollect about the experience is just the that that demonst that that was really my first opportunity to actually do some of this, you know, complete blank slate, build whatever, 
and um, we did some tributes to uh, Peter Rasmussen's work. Right. Um, there was an area where we showcased some of Tom Jantel's work, I believe. And so, you know, his, his uh, uh, aesthetic uh, tends very much toward the surreal. And uh, Lainey Voom, who will will be right. talking about one of her films later, one of the years we actually kind of commissioned her to to oversee almost all of the design, and oh my goodness, just yeah. extraordinary! I remember you know, to that. think that the, that the the tools that you build within there are you you start by working with primitives, really, you know, squares and spheres and things like that, and then you can shape those and morph them and cut them up and you'd never know it from looking at the result though. Um, it's just extraordinary. And yeah, I can't think of any other platform. Uh, even uh, Damien, you mentioned uh, iClone and Unreal like those, but all of those really, those modern platforms, they're fairly dependent for most people on content created by someone else, like in a content store kind of scenario. Yeah. for characters, for props, for things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's very, very time efficient to have that resource. And Second Life has a content store, so to speak. There are creators who design things and you can purchase them with Linden dollars and save yourself a ton of trouble or leverage an expertise that you just don't have. You know, I, mm. Can't, mm. I can't design a ballroom gown from the 1800s, but there's somebody in there who does, you know? who does it amazingly. So um, yeah, all fond memories of that. And I still feel uh, the same way about Second Life in terms of even with as much as we saw creators do there, it's still largely untapped. Like it's, it has not been taken to its fullest potential yet. There's so much potential there when you've got blank slate, competent design tools and the only limits your imagination really yeah, yeah. Uh, that's extraordinary yeah. and it the only thing amazing about second life is that someone else hasn't come along and done something comparable yet yeah yep. yeah there's nothing nothing on that level yet yeah my uh, and i'm not I, sure why your comments uh are, are exactly my uh feelings and and thoughts as well uh, however, one thing bothered me quite a bit, and that was the lag in events. And I found it, and uh, it's partially the reason is that um, it's that Second Life streams all the data to the user live, and it doesn't do a lot of caching of recurring events uh, or recurring elements of it. And I was curious to find out that in uh, January of 2021, Linden Labs completed the migration of all of its services and databases to AWS servers, mm. which are Amazon-based servers. Right. And so if anybody is listening and they're an active Second Life user or creator or Machinima film creator, has there been a difference since January 2021 in the streaming and uh, uh, lag in, in your experience of Second Life, because those servers in Amazon are just fantastic. So that might be a big difference that, that we just, since we haven't been there, we don't, we don't know about it. Let us know about that if you-, if you Yeah, uh, I, I'm very curious too, Ricky, about if you remember how the 
we we tried we kind of pushed it to the to the max of what you can yeah. do in there in terms of yeah, streaming yeah. reels of video and uh you know interacting with audio and stuff like that and the the video was very there's a lot of work to set that up and then even then it wasn't tremendously reliable it was no. all quick time formats which are beautiful but they never have really they never have been the cutting edge of streaming yeah, and you figure this is what 2008 2009 were the main years where we really went all out in there youtube at that point was only what three years old mm -hmm. netflix uh, netflix was still mailing dvds yep you know streaming video has come a long way in these past this past decade so yeah, yeah i'd be curious um is any of that improvement to delivering video in high quality um has the has second life been able to leverage any of that for those let's say extra media yeah. services because yeah. for us yeah. personally that was a big part of the attraction is right. that we could also do that mm. damien remember, you had a comment yeah i was going to say not just the streaming video but um the number of people that would come to the expo as well i'm uh, when we started getting one or 200 people trying to watch you just couldn't move because the lag is yes. impossible so mm -hmm. wherever you were you were stuck there and you just had to enjoy the expert from that point because you just couldn't walk around you couldn't move the camera um because the service just wasn't really designed to hold that many people in one spot at the same time so i hope that's been improved since then yeah but that's something that stuck came to mind as well i would think they'd have to because since covid there have been a lot of uh, companies and educational institutions that have gone to Second Life for virtual learning or virtual meetings. So I'd think since they could see that as a way of making profit, they would put more research into making sure that was a good experience. I would think so too. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we need to pop back in there, Ricky. Oh my! I think maybe, I've still got maybe my we should, Maybe we should run one of our shows from in there. Yes, maybe. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Well, listen, uh, we've been jabbering on. Let's get to our films. That's our favorite thing. I'd like to start out with my selections. Um, I have two selections and then a couple little mentions. The first one is a film uh, called The Portrait of a Virtual Art Collector, Joseph K. by Previn Wolf. And it's a, a form that I was talking about earlier called the personal essay or a documentary of a Second Life art collector whose passion for virtual art led him to open a gallery. Much of the film consists of the narrator, Joseph K. Interesting echo to uh, Franz Kafka's K. Walking through his art gallery and talking about how he became a Second Life art collector. Lots and lots of uh, art is shown along with the credits for each piece the uh there's there's sort of club music that that goes through that which i thought was pretty cool initially but after a while it becomes a, such uh a, a bit wearing i found it a fascinating piece and i it's a kind of thing that i think could only be shot in second life what did you guys think of it um i felt like it was a very personal film um from the director because he's showing off his own personal collection which he's obviously spent um quite a a long time building this, this art gallery and filling it up with bits of artwork that he's found throughout um, Second Life. And obviously he wants to share that with people. So he made this video uh, of him walking around. He talks about how he got into it, like you said, and he talks about some of his favorite pieces. And yeah, I think that's 
something that's very unique to Second Life because you couldn't do that um, in any other. You can do it in any game because you don't buy other people's artwork in the game. Right, right. It's what's it? It's in the game, and you wouldn't do it in something like iClone because you can't really share that virtual environment with anyone. It's just your video. Um, so that is something that I think is can only ever be made in a platform like Second Life. Yeah, very unique. Yeah. Mm. Well, from my perspective, I mean, listening to some of the comments that he made. So this, this is this is a, a story about a guy who who calls himself Joseph K, but his real name I think is Preben Wolf, and he's been this virtual art collector for five years, just five years, and he's accumulated this vast collection. Um, but I think what struck me about it um, is that it's a, it's a gallery full of static objects, which I think is really quite interesting because it's, it's you know, to my point earlier, really, it's a, it's a replica of a real life gallery with very little attention paid to the interactive nature of digital objects. And the art displayed or, or presented in this video doesn't represent the nature of, of the virtual beyond being a collection of digital things. And I think what Preben Wolf does explain is that the, the laws of physics are played with a little bit. Um, well, he says in the artworks, but I don't think he means in the artworks. I think what he's talking about is in their presentation rather than their content. So they float or you can walk through them, that kind of thing. Hmm. And I think it's when he starts talking about how the art can be interactive that this collection actually becomes more interesting. But um, I think the, the film is really, you know, just presents a collection of dead stuff, representational things. And there's another interesting point that he makes, which, I, which I'd like to pick up on as well, which is that he um, reflects on one particular artist um, that we, we, we probably all have heard of or have met at some point or another in our tours through Second Life. Um, and that's Save Me Oh. Uh, but yeah, but again, what he's collected and what he presented are the pieces that the artist used in the installations rather than the performance which they were used to create which is a, it's a bit odd, I think. Interesting. Now, yeah. you know, for those of you that don't know, Save Me O's interventions in Second Life were really meant to disrupt both the, the, the sort of social conventions in the environment and, and also the, the shared rules, um, which are replicated in Second Life. And, and her, her work primarily poses, I think, I think um, a couple of fascinating questions really which is, you know, all around, why do people feel it um, necessary to behave as if they are in real life instead of, you know, acting out their full creative potential? And it's a really, I think it is an interesting question. And it's, it's one that I don't fully understand as to why, even though Preben acknowledges that as an interesting area, it's not actually portrayed in this video either. Mm. Um, now, then you've got to ask yourself, what is this machinima really about? And it's not really about the collection at all, in my view. It's about the artist. 
uh, sorry, the, uh, sorry the, the, the curator, um, Preben himself. Um, and what he's trying to portray in my view is this kind of throwback to the 1970s of the, this kind of uh, person who's a philanthropic character that lives for the pursuit of the object, then secretes himself into this stuff. Uh, and one can imagine kind of periodically holding cocktail parties to show it all off. <laughs> kind of Yahweh's richer in cultural terms than right, you right, so right. to speak. And there's, there's some hidden things within it, which are also a little bit intriguing, which which are to do with what he's collected and the, and the aesthetic of what he's collected. Um, he's clearly fascinated by the fe female form um, and also surrealism and abstract images. Um, but none of none of that about him is actually well captured in that video. Uh, and I, I think I would encourage them to sort of do a little bit more around, if you're going to do this kind of style of thing, capture the essence of who the actual characters are as well. Right. Because for me, it's a little bit flat on that. I see. Um, and to that point, really, I guess it raises another question, which is if you are the creator of content that are bought by such as Breben, then wouldn't you want to ask yourself um, for whom is this stuff being created and how are they going to use it and why? Mm. And I didn't get a sense of any of that in this um, documentary about yeah. this gallery at all. So some quite deep thoughts there, but it's kind so you of wanted You wanted him to do more with his essay than just a walkthrough and a brag about his stuff. Absolutely. I think there's mm. a story there that is not told. And, a, Got and it. kind of, I was curious to know more about what that story was. Got it. Phil, what did you think? Yeah, I had a very, a very different uh, experience with it. Uh, I found that I, 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 my analytical faculties shut down. And I just went on a walk with this guy through this art gallery, realizing as I was doing it, I haven't had an opportunity to do that in real life. And I cannot remember how long, oh. just one of those where you just walk through you, me, I don't say anything to anybody. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to say, Oh, what do you see in this? That's like the most annoying thing in the world for me. I just want to go and just stare and immerse and experience. And I found that I did that. And you could give me a pop quiz right now on what he talked about. I, I would fail. I didn't pay any attention. <laughs> I didn't have it <laughs> muted, but I, it just zoned out for me because I was just entranced by this, this art. And mind you, it's not because necessarily the art was all pleasant to look at or enjoyable. Some of it was positively horrifying uh but that's good art you know so yeah. uh yeah i ha i had just a kind of a vicarious experience of just walking it with them and i it probably would have been the same if i had toured it with joseph k and he was yapping the whole time i would have just toned just tuned him out completely and just been you know slack jawed looking at all this art that that 
you know, I think because we've talked about this many times before, but even before this show existed, that that when we would review abstract works with the expo, for example, and I would confess that, man, that is just not a fountain that springs from me, you know, or it's not anything I've ever learned how to harness that, that abstraction in art. So as a result, I'm just entranced by it. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Um, I don't claim to understand it. Um, I would make a horrible art critic uh, because I, I don't even know how to talk about it other than it, it did something to me uh, mm. emotionally. And uh, yeah, I just find that, I mean, I'm a now 50-year-old father of two teenagers working most weeks, seven days a week, repairing and computers and managing networks. And I'm sorry, tours of art galleries are just not part of my lifestyle. <laughs> not to mention I'm in a part of the country where there isn't one nearby at all. So I was just fascinated and grateful for the experience. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know how helpful that is. I, I don't know how to, it I don't know helpful. how to review it as a film yeah. other than it just did something I didn't expect to me. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Wow, what great comments, you guys. Thank you. Um, I don't think you off, we often get this range of comments on a lot of fil films that we uh, that we review here. So I'm really happy that um, this film uh, brought up a lot of thinking and uh, feelings. Uh, I wanted to quickly go on to my second pick, which is Perda Park's Future Shock Machinima series documentary. Uh, Perda Park is a machinima filmmaker and she shares her workflow on how she creates machinima. It's more of a practical, almost tutorial like machinima. I chose it because of its informational content and it's a fun way to learn about machinima in Second Life and as a contrast to the uh, portrait of a virtual art collector. What did you guys think of the uh, Perda Park's Future Shock Machinima series documentary? I think that the world needs more movie videos like this, that the, the artist process videos, it is so valuable. And if you think about in a time before there was the internet, this is the hoarded knowledge that you had to know somebody who knew somebody to ever get exposed to. And so I just love it when somebody who makes stuff shows how they make it. Uh, I think it's just delightful. Um, I don't really have any specific comments on this film other than it's a great example of that type of knowledge sharing. And I love it. I think it inspires people. It, it sends a message. You could do this. Mm -hmm. You could do this. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the same things happened in the food industry, if you will, with all the the videos that are online about how to prepare this, how to cook this and whatnot. A lot of people that have time to do that in their lives, they're inspired by that. It, it makes it accessible. It makes it feel like, wow, maybe I could, could do this too. This is exactly the same kind of thing. And it's wonderful. And I, I wish that more people did this for various yeah. engines. Yeah, That's I, great. It was nice to see the behind the scenes of how she made this series. I haven't, it made me want to watch the series, which I haven't had a chance. Me to too. Do me that. too. Yeah, one of the either. things that's one of the bits that stood out to me in this film was 
There's a moment where she's got her second life character sitting at a computer as if she's her second life character is making the series on the computer. <laughs> I thought that's behind the scenes in the world. Like that. That, that, that was a nice little touch there that made you smile. <laughs> that's good. Tracy. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, it was great. Um, I, I, I think this, this is a series by um, Draxter Dupre, isn't it? Um, and Drax does a great, uh, you know, he has a, a whole series of stuff where he goes out and talks to people that have created stuff, whether it's Sims or films or whatever. And he's, you know, he's, he, um, he originally was commissioned by Second Life to do that. Uh, and he's continued to do it for years and years and years and years. And his stuff is, is really uh, brilliant, really insightful. Uh, and this is just another example of the quality of the stuff that he does for, for um Second Life, basically. Yeah, we'll make sure we put a link into Drax's uh, uh, stuff because you're right, he's done some really wonderful things about exploring art. Another example of that um, machinima in which you are going through this world and encountering people and then sharing your your uh, uh, ex their experience with other people, it, it, it's a real social aspect of Second Life, which I think is unique. Uh, lastly, I quickly I wanted to mention that there was a really interesting um, a video that I caught, uh, and it was a Half-Life 2 level that had been moved to the Unreal Engine. And uh, it was sort of a demo of walking through a specific engine. And I found that absolutely brilliant, the, the graphics. Uh, taken from that original Half-Life 2 game was just really marvelous. We'll put a link in the uh, in the uh, show notes. Uh, it's worth a look. Um, I thought that was really cool. Uh, Damien, I wanted and to... A and, and a listen. And a listen, yes. listen. The, the music is just delicious. Yeah, the music is fantastic. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Damien, let's go to your uh, choice. What was your choice this month? Uh, my choice, well, you challenged me to try and find something Star Wars, and I couldn't find anything Star Wars that I particularly liked, but I came across this instead, which is um, in 2020, there was a comic book convention, a sci-fi convention held within Second Life. And I was in, very intrigued by this because I thought I, I missed going to this because it obviously happened uh, in the past. And my initial thought was, well, these are some clever people because they thought, well, all the real life comic cons have been cancelled. I love going to comic cons myself. I like getting in a costume and meeting my friends and yeah. having a good time there. And obviously that wasn't possible that year. And I thought, well, this is I could have gone to this if I know it's happening and kind of had a virtual experience that I was missing out, missing being able to go to. Um, so this video just kind of shows off the um, environments that they built for the uh, convention to take place in. And there's all these different themes for different um, aspects of science fiction like there's some there's the enterprise in one part there's the london bridge which had recently been featured in the battle in the, the spider-man film that had come out shortly before um there's doctor who references there's star wars references there's all kinds of stuff in there and i think the idea is you could dress up your avatar the way you want to as if you were really dressing up in costume and you could go and take screenshots around of your character in these different places and meet new friends, uh, the same kind of stuff you would do at a, a real comic convention. So I started looking at, at um, into sort of the behind the scenes of how this event took place. And they'd actually, it wasn't done because of COVID. They'd been actually running it for many years before. Mm. 
Uh, and it's just that's what my initial reaction was that, but it, I was mistaken and I, I was really glad to see that. And they'd done one the year after, and of course, I missed that one because I only just found the video. Um, and then this morning I checked and they've actually announced the dates for this year's event, which oh, I think oh, I'm going to go in and have to check out. And uh, I'm going to mention the dates now to, in case anyone is curious. It's May the 18th to the 29th. Um, they've only just announced that. I haven't. I don't know what kind of content they're going to have. Um, I imagine it's going to be very similar to this video, but I guess I'll have to go and have a look. So what did you guys think of the video itself? I was a little frustrated with it because of a couple things. One is that the they use this sort of epic choral music, the kind you hear in Game of Thrones and other things, which was mismatched. It didn't seem to match the science fiction theme. I ended up having to turn the music off uh to watch it and i also had some trouble because it depicted a lot of people just walking around and dancing at some point um i didn't get the feeling that it covered a lot of the actual events that that took place there um so it wasn't a very appealing film for me Fair enough. yeah i i wondered if it had been filmed either before the event or afterwards because yeah it looked it did did look like it wasn't done during there just wasn't enough uh avatars present to to for it to have been active and maybe maybe the lag problem isn't solved and that's why they didn't even attempt it <laughs> good point uh, i could be it yeah, I, go ahead no, no, I, said, I said that could be it yeah yeah so yeah, I wasn't I wasn't terribly jazzed by it until it got to the scene where the the kind of voluptuous woman with wings and a tail starts seductively twerking to the mad hatter sitting on a sofa that looks like it's made from the bucket seat of an old automobile. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm engaged now. Because <laughs> if that's what goes on at, at this con, then uh that's that's awesome you're ready so, to roll yeah i'm ready a, to roll yeah a lap dance. i want to know more about that <laughs> how did that happen who is that guy and why did he deserve that kind of hello <laughs> tracy uh, i thought it was i thought it was really intriguing actually because i you know it when i was reading up a little bit about it as well damien it's um it it's created by um you know, lot, lots of folks put parts of the sim into it. So it, so they all contribute the installations and the installations are all these sci-fi cultural classic references that you kind of describe. And, and as I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, Back to the Future. There was a bit of Jurassic Park in it, a bit of Blade Runner, a bit of Mad Max Thunderdome, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Avatar, Dune, Star Wars. It just went on and on. I mean, it was... It was a phenomenal collection of installations. And, you know, you just kind of wonder what what would you do in each of those installations other than kind of walk, walk through? So whilst I get where Ricky was coming from in terms of, you know, you didn't actually see what the experiences were, I think that was it. The experience was the fact that it was a detailed sim of a set in one of those kind of classic films. But the other the other sort of I mean it so so this is where where it kind of for me just wasn't a bit of a was a bit of a mismatch because it, it what it said is it, it described it as a as a con 
that covers sci-fi and all its subgenres like horror and steampunk and post-apocalypse and cyberpunk and all of that, superheroes and whatnot. Um, but then it said it, it aims to celebrate the possibilities of the future, which is where I got, mm, really? Um, but, but I think really what it's doing is just celebrating cultural references to mediatized iconic experiences. Uh, uh, uh. Um, and then the, then the other sort of subtext to it is it's all done to um, raise money for um, the American Cancer Society's relay as well. So there's a there's another reason for it to kind of um, take place. But I guess the only thing that happens there is folks meet up in these sims, just have a little walk around and then have a bit of a party. And and that is what the video is just, a, you know, a quick run through of what these sims were. And aren't they amazing? And the party. Hmm. Um, so there were so you don't think there were any events that in which there was an installation or that there was a person giving a talk about some aspect of science fiction or a series of science fiction artworks or anything that was interactive in it and it was just a party film with a bunch of uh, models suspect, of sets I, I suspect that's what it is well so if more, that was the case then they captured it really well huh? yeah but but you know what that to that point really, if there isn't stuff like it, that in there, then there's a real opportunity because it is a, a really interest, interesting place to go and have a look around. The fact that you've got all these um, installations and they change every year according to hmm. the description. I mean, I read it's been running for thirteen years. This will be its fourteenth year, I think. Yeah. Well, I compared it to my own experiences going to science fiction conventions, and there was much more interaction in live conventions. And you made the point er earlier about how you were disappointed in the uh, portrait gallery because there was a lack of interaction, that it was just mm -hmm. static images. And I kind of thought that, that that was the problem with this one. Yeah. Yeah. Don't disagree, Ricky. But clearly right. done. <laughs> I don't know. I got tired of watching that lady with the wings do her little g-string <laughs> dance, <laughs> and, uh, and the the. Yeah, it might as well have been O Fortuna. Huh? Yeah, give me a break. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Phil, you have got some fantastic films uh, to share with us today. Tell us about them. Yeah, I'll lead off. Uh, we mentioned Lainey Voom earlier. Um, she created what to me, okay. So when you, when you asked us, Ricky, Hey, let's all pick second life stuff. I did survey, um, you know, more recently created stuff because this film that I ended up picking is from, I think 2008, um, goes way back to me. This is still the most impressive, uh, piece of animated video to come out of second life. And maybe one of my most, to me, one of the most impressive, pieces of machinima ever made. Um, it's called Push. It's about a two minute film. Uh, Lainey Voom, who I've interacted with in Second Life back then, but know very little about her real world persona. I don't even know her real world name. Um, I have I tried reaching out to her um, about a week ago when uh, when I made the pick through her Vimeo account. She may not even have that email address anymore. Who knows? But I uh, haven't heard from her. So I, she's a very, she's a mystery to me um, as a person. But then just 
this film is just extraordinary. The, the amount of, well, first of all, I would venture a guess that if we were to put this film in front of, you know, a set of random people who had similar levels of knowledge that we do about the aesthetics of the different real-time engines and games and all that, and had them guess what was this made with, I would venture a guess that the vast majority of people would get it wrong because this doesn't look anything like anything. Hmm. It doesn't look like Second Life. And yet it is fully, like not enhanced one bit. Every bit of footage is exactly what she captured from there. She made this in a week, kind of on a dare to herself of what would happen if I did this? She gave herself a $50 budget for custom content to buy maybe costumes or, or props or things like that within Second Life and gave herself one week start to finish. And this was the result. And it's just astonishingly good. The, the, the texturing of everything is so rich. There's not a solid color anywhere. Um, the animations are so odd and unusual and, and, and even though I don't know if she could tell us exactly what this film is about or what its message was necessarily, uh, there is a sense of theme that comes through and it doesn't have to be pinned down, I think, to, to enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I remain, I, I think this is, this is one of the, you know, not, not to be all superlative about it, but this is one of the greatest of all time for me. And uh, I'm very glad that we, we did this. I don't know that I would have thought to revisit this film uh, mm. if we hadn't done the Second Life Focus. And it's, it's amazing and inspiring. And uh, Lainey, if you tune into this, you know, I'm doing the Wayne's World thing. Not worthy. Amazing, amazing stuff. What did you guys think? It's one of those films where you watch it, you have no idea how they made it in the platform that um, they chose. I also remember, yes. I started watching it. I remember when we got this for the Machine Expo, it was one of the, I think, did we get a jury prize? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it we did. did win the jury prize that year, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I remembered it from then, and so, yeah, it was nice to see it again. But, yeah, even looking at it again now, I thought, I would struggle with how to make this in iClone, which obviously has a lot more power behind what you can do with the actual animation. So I have no idea how she managed to pull this off in Second Life, but that's a testament to her skill level at using, um, using the It holds platform. up so well. Yeah. yeah, It really does. I was going to say exactly the same, Phil. To me, it stood the test of time. Um, and it was, it was highly experimental when it, when it came out it was actually July 2009 I think nine okay uh, and I remember showing showcasing the piece at count, countless film and animation festivals that I was invited to speak at during the period between 2009 2012 it was one I showed or always one I showed and I also included it in um paper I did on um manifesto for machinima which was published in 2011 um, and I think what makes it really so compelling is that, you know, the, the, the music piece, this solo drum piece. Yes, yes. Um, which kind of really 
it, it kind of captures the increasingly demented nature of the of the um you know of the aesthetic that it's very it's, much it's portraying yeah, yeah and it kind of uses these surrealist visuals to illustrate and I, i've always associated it with with time but actually i don't think it's about time i think it's about death and me how, too exactly how what i think fast time passes for us humans and maybe how time appears to speed up as we get older eh, Phil? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was your pick. Once you you're 50, sort of... every film about time is about death. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> yeah, I felt that the theme was death as well, but it wasn't apparent to me until this uh, most recent viewing of the film. I didn't think that when it first came out. Uh, I, I can't. Uh, I can't agree with you more. I mean, it's just. You're so right, Phil, about this. It's such a great choice. It's a brilliant film. And it's about itself, you know? I mean, it it's so unique, you can't compare it to anything else. Yep. One thing I do wanted to point out is that Second Life has a kind of, at times, Second Life has an uncanny quality in its look of the avatars. I remember once asking Hugh Hancock um, during the big, uh, period where Second Life was on uh, everybody's uh, tongue in Machinima. I asked him, well, what did he think of Second Life? And he said he just didn't, wasn't interested in it. And I asked him why, and he says, he didn't like the look of the characters. He said they just seemed fake to him, you know? And mm. in some sense, I, I don't personally think that, but I see what he's talking about. And I think in Push, Laney uses that sort of uncanny quality of the characters and their limited animation sets because there isn't a lot of subtle animation in Second Life, you know? And I think she used it in a way with that rat-a-tat modern dance drum uh, music mm -hmm. in such a way as that she put them all together so that they all work. You know, part of she what made artist... it a strength. Yeah. Yes. What, exactly. what some she might see as a weakness. She leaned into it. Yeah. Beautifully. Yeah. And I think in many ways, that's what uh, artists do. They often take disparate elements and put them together in a unique way so that it creates a believable sort of fictional world or universe. And that is such a tribute to her talent as a filmmaker. Great choice, Phil. Great choice. There is Thank one you. one more thing I'll say about this. This was sure. So its creator was um, a lady called Trace Sanderson, um, and she disappeared oh, yeah. from the machinima scene many many years ago. And I know several people that have tried to contact her over the years, um, but she's just never been heard of <laughs> since huh. about twenty twelve ish, I think. Wow. Um, so so kind of long gone. We don't know what the backstory is. Yeah. There. Well, Nobody ever well. actually spoke to her in person either. That was right. always the, the interesting. She was very thing private. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember walking through the exhibit that we made on the Machinima Expo because we had this wonderful exhibit um, in which you could go up to various stations and then play that particular film. And I remember walking through it with her to get to get notes and things like that. And she was. She was a very interesting person, but you're you're right, private. She didn't share any information about herself or any of that. 
Uh, let's go to your second film, uh, Soul Chambers by Chantal Harvey. Phil, tell us about it. Yeah, this is this is if there's if there's someone in Second Life with what we could call the opposite of that personality, it would be Chantal. She's not afraid to talk to anybody. Not that Trace was afraid, but I'm just saying her approach is more. Let's talk, and uh, and she's kind of a a leader figure in that community, I think. I mean, she's highly respected, well-known, and has been at it for a long time. And I just happened to, while I was in there, uh, having just watched uh, Lainey's uh, push, I just surfed a little bit around Vimeo because it'd been a while since I've been in there for other Second Life stuff. And this piece by Ch that Chantal had recently uh, posted or reposted, but it was made quite a few years ago. Um, just really caught my eye um, as, as something that uh, uh, really, it's more second lifey, if you will. Like, you know, this is in second life. Right. But just, it's, it's just this, it's just beautiful and abstract. And I don't normally go for uh, abstract, mainly because I'm, I'm hesitant to pick them because I don't know how to talk about them properly. And that's still the case with this. Uh, this the film is called Soul Chambers. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's, it falls into the category of kind of a tour of a sim, so to speak, of showing off something that's been created there. Uh, maybe push, like, you know, primed my buttons or something to where I was in the perfect mood for that. But it, I just really enjoyed it for what it was. Just this very, very colorful and and lively and beautiful thing. Um, maybe you guys have some more, something more intelligent to say about it than oh, I'm mustering. Stop that! Up. Stop that! You're doing fine. You want me um, to say a few things on it? <laughs> thank sure. you. Yeah. Not not that I'm I, my stuff's terribly in, intelligent. Okay, so so um, it's obviously it's an art installation. Um, and it's actually by a French artist. Ultraviolet was a French artist. And um, Chantel filmed it in 2011. Um, and the, this installation was created for the a Burn 2 event. Um, and, and Chantel had gone into this, uh, this installation and was so kind of wowed by it. Um, she filmed it. Um, and what she, because I, I asked her about this one, I, and what she sort of said about it is it hit her to be so what she imagined life after death to be. Mm. Uh, she couldn't really explain it. So mm. she, she filmed it. She contacted Ultraviolet and sent her the footage that she'd created. Um, and, and Chantel says she was incredibly moved by the, by the, the piece when she was in it. Um, anyway, um, what then happened was Ultraviolet composed a piece of music to the film that she'd made and, uh, and sent the, the, the text to it and what, what have you. Um, and so really what this is, is an actual, uh, it's an experience and also a collaboration between Ultraviolet and Chantel. Oh, wow. To sort of extend this, uh, I suppose really what you'd call it is a kind of a serendipitous creative experience between the yeah. two of them. So which, which I think is extraordinary. A, it's, it's really beautiful. It's a really lovely piece. And I can actually see what she was saying um, or, or, or 
I get what she was saying about it being sort of life after death. Um, kind of really agree with Chantelle on it, really, because that's how it came over when I was sort of looking at this piece, even though what you're experiencing is the film and not the actual installation, because I, I dare say the installation's long gone. Um, and I think it's one of those things, where, you know, back to the point that we were talking about really at the beginning of today's show is that this is an example, I think, of Second Life being this kind of vicarious enactment of some aspect of life um, that, that can't be lived any longer in real life for whatever reason. Um, and over the years, I think I have seen numerous machinimas play with this, this idea of something, uh, you know, be, passing over, if you like, into Second Life. Um, and, that, and I think that's what comes through in this one, um, for, for whatever reason. And I, I was kind of thinking, you know, what's intriguing about this is, so, you know, Second Life has often been um, aligned to um, the metaverse con concept, has it not? Um, Stevenson's uh, Snow Crash metaverse concept. And what's kind of interesting here is this installation and this film and experience was filmed years before the book that he's just most recently published, which is called Fall, um, which is all about uploading your life to the net. And that's what this is about. This is about, you know, passing over into this sort of virtual space. That's what the kind of installation is, seems to be about to me. And I guess you have to kind of think where where would Stevenson get the inspiration for some of the ideas that he comes from comes, mm -hmm. comes up with, and I'm wondering if this this might be some of the ideas behind it because let's face it, none of the uh, organisations that are kind of playing around with this idea of uploading your your brain post death to the to the net are actually ever going to get there, despite what the, the hype is about. Oh, interesting. You know, I uh, want not to be morbid, but I last year one of the things I did is I uh, I bought a cremation service for myself for after I die, so that uh, the process of taking care of my uh, body and all of that will be uh, taken care of and will be away from the responsibility of my friends and my uh, partner. I also set up a whole series of uh, a will and all of that stuff. And it occurred to me that while you were talking that perhaps I should buy some sort of space in Second Life where I can be an avatar that appears long after I'm dead to say, <laughs> hey, you guys, I was Ricky Grove and I did this and I did that. It'd be kind of fun. Thank, yeah. thank you for sh suggesting that. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure we look forward to that one. Yes. Oh, <laughs> by the way, about the film, I, one of the things I loved a lot was the poem as narration. That's a wonderful idea. Go ahead, Damien. I say, hopefully that's not for a long time, Ricky. Yeah, hopefully. Um, as my thoughts on the film was, I'm really glad, Tracy, you explained all that because I watched it and I didn't really get it. It's starting to look at, 
I didn't quite grasp that it was the life after death kind of concept. Um, so now you've explained that, um, I get it more. Mm. I, I understand it more now. So it, the visuals now make more sense to me with the poem and, and everything. So yeah, thank you for that. A lot of times abstract works, I studied, I still do, uh, I'm attracted to abstract works, and I studied a lot of the post-World War II abstract film movement, club movement, uh, films by Maya Darren and uh, Stan Brackage and others. And one of the things about them is that they're not meant to be consumable in the same way as mainstream uh, films are, in which you you consume it and you understand it immediately with one viewing. They're meant to be gone back to and repeatedly mm -hmm. viewed because they're often, they deal with something called ambiguity where you can define and explain certain aspects of the film in a variety of ways. Whereas there's no ambiguity in say, you know, the TV series Law and Order, exactly what you see on the screen is what it is. Mm -hmm. But, um, much of abstract film is representational. I mean, it, it, they show symbols of things and that imply other things. And that's one of the things I liked about it is that it was uh, an abstract film like this it really rewards multiple viewings is what I'm trying to say. You know, there was a kind of a philosophical trend that I want to say emerged in the late 1800s, early 1900s post-Nietzsche, and uh, I think Wittgenstein wrote a lot on this, but basically the idea was when a reader is presented a text, that that's an interactive experience, that actually it's not complete until the reader ends up bringing something to it yeah. and changes it. Mm -hmm. And that gets a little you know fluffy there in terms of how abstract that is, but I, it's, it changed the way that I think about reading um, ever since that I studied that. And I think, I think that the same is very much true for music and for visuals, uh, for, for things like this and for abstract works in particular, they leave that space there for that dance, if you will, to happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, even I who am not studied in it, I get that, like I, I, I feel it. And uh, yeah, it can be it can be really special and sometimes confusing, you know. If, yep. if 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 your brain doesn't at all know what to do, then it's 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 very weird and very unique experience. Yep. So, and Second yeah. Life encourages this sort of yes. type of work, unlike any other game engine or real time engine that is out there. I agree, Tracy. Let's go to your interesting choices. What do you have for us today? Well, I've got a, a couple and, and an honourable mention, if you'll allow me. Okay. Um, the, the first one is um, a, an historical uh, piece. It's actually a history of Second Life um, by a lady called uh, Bolly Coco. Um, <laughs> what a great name. Great name. Absolutely. Um, released in February 2021. And it's really just a potted history documentary by... Um, a French resident in Second Life, um, who's really only been resident for a few years, four years from what I can gather. Uh, and the, the film itself is just a, a, a run through review of some of the, the Second Life history notables from its earliest days. So key events, major developments, uh, and that sort of thing in terms of the environment itself. Um, 
what she's done, she's done quite a lot of um, work in the background, obviously. Um, she's visited these historical places um, she reports on in her search for 17 years of existence of Second Life. So she's looking wow. for the residue of that. Yeah. Um, she's reviewed areas such as all these historical um, areas, um, hundreds of note cards, apparently from Oslinden, the Second Life Wiki, the Second Life Community page, the Fandom Second Life page, and various blogs, including superfan Wagner James Au, who we've talked about in, in the past. Um, and needless to say, um, she's um, reporting. She's reporting on something of the history, um, which, which you know, frankly, is all about um, how creators have, have developed the world. Um, but the, the challenge I think she's faced is that it's never going to cut the mustard for all the fans of Second Life. So I think she's been given a bit of a rough deal in the comments, basically. Yeah. Um, which are along the lines of, hey, you missed this or you missed that. And, you know, I think she's done a pretty good job in terms of documenting or, you know, putting um, a bit of a marker down for key stuff that's happened. Um, and I think if you want to understand how Second Life has evolved as a kind of, if you want to call it a metaverse, then call it a metaverse, um, she's kind of put a bit of a marker on, on, on the key steps that have um, taken place to get it to the point that it is at now. Um, so it's a it's a backstory uh, more than anything. It's a it's a bit of a documentary. It's by no means a complete history, but it's not a bad effort, I think. Yeah, I learned a lot about Second Life that I didn't know in it. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed her presentation. Obviously, she did a lot of work in trying to put together all sorts of disparate information, and that's not an easy job. I would uh, caution those critics who say you've missed this, you missed that, to take on this job themselves to see what they would come up with. Because I assure you that they would post the video and many other people would say, well, you missed this, you missed that, you know. Um, my only problem with the video is that I wish you would have spent a little more time on the presentation. Of, of it. Um, I think her focus was so much on trying to get the information and get images that that's what she excelled in. But yeah. sometimes the repeated gestures and the off the bad lip sync at times, the lack of attention to detail on that area distracted me a bit. But I would just look away from the screen and listen to what she had to say. Uh, yeah. and, and it wasn't a problem. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really good. And if you want to know about Second Life, you couldn't do better than this particular documentary. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I think that, yeah, anybody who would, you know, criticize her approach to history doesn't, uh, I would argue they don't understand what the work of history actually is because <laughs> it is always making decisions about what's important enough to write about and what's not. Yes. Yeah. That goes back to, you know, I mean, that's, that's always been history, you know, the, 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 the kind of yeah. tongue in cheek phrase that people use it, that the winners are who write history. Well, I mean, that's a kind of jaded way of looking at it, but the truth is that's always the job of it's history. Selective. You don't document everything. Yeah. 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 So I would say though, you know, if, if, if I had created something historical and uh, historical, and someone said you left some stuff out, I would take it as a compliment. 
because that's the job. (laughs) The job is not to document everything. It's Mm -hmm. to make a selection. And the person doing the job always influences that. So Ricky's right. Every single iteration that someone would create of Second Life's history is going to choose this and not that and vice versa. So I don't see that as a weakness of it at all. I found it very informative too. There's a lot in it that I didn't know about prior to this. Um, The lip sync bothered me a little bit too, which is ironic, I realized, coming from someone who cut their teeth in machinima in Quake, where there was was either no lip sync or it was some kind of a primitive skin thing to go from four phonemes. So, but I've, as, as I've evolved, I've kind of come to uh, more of a, a philosophy on that of, you know, maybe de-emphasize or maybe don't lean so much on that if the engine doesn't do a good job. Because that's the thing. It's, it's not a flaw of her filmmaking that the lip sync was bad. That's not a strength of Second Life. Never has no. been. No. Likely would never will be. Who knows? Um, but, but sometimes you have to make that decision. She wants a presenter there. I had to do something very similar with my recently uh, released Obit. The, uh, the lip sync is not perfect, but, um, you know, it, because of a limitation of the tool I was using. Um, but the way to mitigate that is just maybe not linger on it or rely on it quite so much. But with the style of a video like this, again, with there's, there's an MC and she's the one who's presenting it. Right. That's tough. Right. You can't have no lip sync. You don't want there to be talking while she's moving her head and not moving her lips at all. So that was a tough, tough choice to have to make uh, to, to figure out how to do that. But anyway, in terms of content, um, the, the, you know, the underlying historical content of it, I found it very valuable and very enjoyable. Um, I agree with people who have made what you've been saying about the comments. They're very unforgiving because if you're going to, make a documentary that covers 17 years of history you're gonna have a 17 year long video yes um <laughs> that's exactly right um, i'm very thankful um that we did not get a 17 hour video to look a 17 year long video yes. to look at <laughs> me too that would have been Imagine terrible. The, the download time oh god <laughs> but um i think documentaries like this for online platforms are it's a very good idea because I learned a lot from it and obviously you guys all learned a lot from it and some of this early history could easily be forgotten yes someone could um join second life and have no idea how it came about and that's probably true for every online platform from world of warcraft to uh ultimate online i'm just trying to think of other sort of mm-hmm. online places and i think a documentary like this shows you how it came about and some of the important things that happens to get it from when when it started to where it is now because it doesn't just launch and then that's it they evolve over time Uh, every single uh, online platform has this evolution it's not just a static platform where nothing ever changes and so being able to go back and see well what was it like in those early days Mm -hmm. and why did they change it i think that's important and make sure that something like this means that this video hopefully it'll still exist after second life does so if second life disappears this is a documentary so this is how it started and you can look back and you know learn about this platform right that was i feel the same way i feel the same way about um some of the um 
books that were written about machinima in the in the earlier years, the one that Paul uh, mm-hmm. Marino was involved with, Matt Kelland. Yeah. You, you, you pick those up now and try and use them as a manual for how to make machinima, even the machinima for dummies one that uh, Hugh and Johnny worked on. It's, it's not very useful <laughs> but in no. terms of, in terms of preserving some history uh, with that. Yeah, that's great. I'm so glad that those were, were published and, uh, and for the most part, some, most of them are, are still available today. Yeah. My Tracy, second, you've, yeah. you've got one last uh, choice there. What was it? Well, uh, it's Digital Rain. And, and I don't know if you guys have had a chance to have a look at this. It's a bit of a late pick. Um, so it's, digital, it's called Digital Rain 2021. Um, and what I put the link to uh, is um, a trailer for it. Uh, and it's, it was released on the 13th of January uh, this year um, by... Uh, well, I think it's created by a collective. I'm not really kind of sure what they call themselves as a production house, but the guy that uh, posts on, on behalf of is called Mac and Tea's Tomato. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, it, the trailer is for an eight episode series and they're really up to about episode six from what I can gather at the moment. Um, now, uh, quite interestingly, the episodes are not on YouTube. They're on something called Streamable. Um, which is actually a video editing platform. I don't know if you guys have used it, come across it or whatever. I'm no, guessing. Uh-uh. No, you haven't. Okay. No. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised at that um, because it looks like it's got some kind of interesting streaming options, but I think it lacks uh, the, 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 the um, discoverability that mm-hmm. we expect on YouTube. Hence why I think these guys have put an awful lot of emphasis on marketing um, and developing this as, uh, it's, it's what John Gator called as a company, <laughs> the, the business around the film, if you like. They put a mm. huge amount of effort into doing that. But about the film, so it's a Blade Runner-esque style machinima. Um, you know, tons of cyberpunk, cyberpunk um, style references in terms of the characters and the, the scenery and the, and the story tropes. And I found it interesting because not only is it um, a machinima series, but they've also developed a comic book and um, photography alongside it. Actually, this is, a, is the, the group's first machinima project, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, they've built the sets for the first three episodes themselves. Um, and they were basically a group of friends collaborating on this to create originally something Matrix-like. Um, but they switched uh, their style as they um, began creating the first episode. So it, to me, they've not really got an awful lot of plot. And I think that kind of comes through a little bit as well. Mm. Um, now there's a pilot episode on there, um, which is actually a standalone piece. And what they've said is that that generated such good feedback from their community uh, of followers that um, they went on to make this sort of larger series. And in fact, from episode four, um, they've been on other creators' sims to create content because apparently there are a number of cyberpunk sims are in Second Life, quite a few of them. Now, I have to say the plot is quite well-trodden, but they've um, put this huge amount of effort into creating all the pro- promotional paraphernalia um, that they feel kind of goes with the film. But I think really 
whilst I, I do think they've got lots of potential to tell some really interesting original stories through their creative process but I think at the moment it just feels for me a bit top heavy on the marketing side and thin on the content side mm. which is not to say it's not fun to watch because it is but I, I think I would definitely um, suggest to these guys um, put a bit more effort into the storyline uh, and you know try and work on original story content um, that I think this this world that they've created is kind of capable of. So you've got kind of mixed messages coming through, I think. But what did you guys think? I watched the trailer and I watched the first episode and um, I didn't realize they'd built everything themselves for it. I thought it must've been a sim that they found, but um, I was impressed by the amount of detail that was in the sim. So knowing that they made it specifically for their videos, um, shows a huge amount of work for it because it's not just um, it's very, very easy to make some boxes and put some textures on to make them look futuristic but they have so much detail mm. on the environment so they obviously put a, a lot of work into it there were some issues with the camera work that kind of bothered me where it passed through the walls and things like that I don't know if that improves later on uh, I'm not but um, I was intrigued enough by what I saw to want to watch more I just haven't had time to do that yet mm. um, so I'm interested to see where it goes because it's not the kind of story you'd expect to be told within Second Life. Exactly. Um, mm. It's expected to be in a game or um, I, I keep saying iClone or um, something along those lines, not Second Life. So I'm, I'm intrigued to know why they chose Second Life rather than a platform that is better suited for a story like this. But on the other hand, I also appreciate that they've, they're going to the amount of travel to do all this in a platform that's not designed for it because that's makes it a greater challenge so the fact that they're you know going for it is uh, to be admired yeah ricky i'm sorry i didn't get a chance to watch it so i can't comment on it but i do know that i uh, uh there are some really interesting series in um in second life and i'm glad to see that people are still working in that that format because I think Second Life would be is a really good way to make series drama mm -hmm. or series comedy. I think it's a really good format for that. Yeah, I, I watched the trailer. Um, it it didn't have the same effect on me that it did on Damien of like, which what a trailer should do, I think, of wanting to pull you in. And I think I want to watch more of this. Um, I don't know exactly why that is. I've been reflecting on that. Um, I think I might just be personally a little bit oversaturated with the cyberpunk aesthetic. I feel like I've eaten enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and, and so that's not a criticism of, of their work at all. It's just me personally. Uh, I'm just not, not drawn to that. Um, I, you know, I do see some, some signs that there's not the same level of polish um, that you'd see on Damien's a great example of, of uh, you know, that, that he's been at it for so many years, you know, that he's learned the art of cutting around the weaknesses and things like that. Every single platform has, including iClone, you know, there's some transitions in there that just aren't perfect. Well, you just don't dwell on them, you know, look away. Don't make the viewer look away. 
Yeah. You look away camera, you know? So, um, and there's, that just comes with experience. Um, so I would, I would venture a guess that that will get better as they go. If they listen to, if people give them honest criticism and if they listen to that. So I love the trailer though, simply because this is such a silly thing to fixate on, but there's this really eerie and haunting cover of a very iconic uh, song from the doors called the end. And it just, it fit the mood of their trailer perfectly. Um, It takes, takes a lot of cojones to even try and cover the doors. Yeah. 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 But that, but this fit, you know, it, uh, I don't know. It reminded me of one of the songs that, uh, that he had picked for uh, the Bloodspell soundtrack um, has that that kind of uh, vocalist on it. Anyway, that was neat. So yeah, that's all I have to say on it. That's me, Dan. I, I, I've got an honorary, honorable mention, but I'll save it for the blog, actually. Okay. Um, so that's our show today. I do did want to mention that Second Life is free. You can uh, go to secondlife.com and download it. Uh, if you don't know anything about it or how to get involved in it, there's a introductory place that takes you to it so you can learn about the mechanics of it. Uh, Second Life has a huge community of people that can help you. There's a, uh, if you want to make machinima, there's a wonderful Monday night uh, program called Machinima Mondays with Chantal Harvey. Uh, you can join that up. It'll, it'll give you baby steps into making a, a film. But, you know, uh, given the comments and the film choices we had, once you get have once you get the um, uh, basics down of filming, go out and explore. Find something interesting. Make something that's fun, that's different. Because as you can see, Second Life gives you the opportunity to experience so many unique things. And uh, if you find something that you want to make a film of, then ask permission to do it of whatever sim you're on, and then take off. Uh, I'd like to make a quick uh, announcement that we're now doing premieres of our episodes, uh, com- the Complete the Machinima podcast on YouTube. A new episode comes out every Thursday, and we live the premiere of that episode on at 12 p.m. Pacific time that day. Uh, there'll at least be a couple of us there answering questions and chatting about the episode, so come and join us for the premiere. We'll have our podcast at completelymachinima.com and also this episode on YouTube. I'd also uh, like to announce that next month, April, we're going to be looking at Machinima created in Real Illusions iClone. That should be very exciting. Uh, I thank you very much, Tracy, Phil, Damien, for another great film episode. I always enjoy these. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.